Hello, welcome to week 50 of 2018, Read Through the Bible with your non-angelic hosts. My name is Kelly. Yeah, I know. I know, but you have to say your name. Okay, my name is Jeff. Just because you're on week 50 doesn't mean everybody else is. I don't think we have many people that have tracked with us the entire time, so you have to just introduce yourself a little bit. Okay. Hi. My name is Welcome. Jeff. I'm 44 years old. I live in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. I have a wife, three children, and one dog. <laughs> and your Packers lost. Hmm. That's the Packers lost today because Aaron Rodgers is an egotistical monster now, and he's ruined the entire team. Whoa, those are some fighting words. Yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. Okay, well, you're my brother. I'm your sister. And (laughs) at the beginning of the year, we thought that it would be a grand idea to read through the Bible in a year and do recaps weekly to talk about the reading that we have just done. So here we are, week 50, and mainly I'm just proud of ourselves that we're still doing it, because that's that's surprising. Well, we never missed a week in there. That's 50 straight weeks. We've been on it. Uh, we did miss one week. Did we? We just combined. Oh. Well, we just well, combined. Well, we missed one out of 58. Bad. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, that's a better record than Aaron Rodgers. That would be 98% if I'm doing the math correctly. I believe you are doing the math correctly. Oh, thank you. So, that was probably the first time that's happened. Well, it's the first time we've done it. You and I grew up together. I grew up, anyway. And we are now old. <laughs> we now have... <laughs> You're older than I am. I know. I'm still a I young know. pup. Spring that's chicken. That's me... But my team won today, and there's no point to my yeah. story. Well, it's, so. you know, it's the first time in, what, ten years that your team has won? Eight. So. Eight years. Sorry. Eight. Sorry. So, hey, congratulations. Enjoy it while you got it. Thank you. Baseball season's right around the corner. How about them Brewers? Christian Yelich, son. How about them Cubs? Mm. Okay, so... We are on week 50 of this year, as we just took five minutes to say, (laughs) and we have two more weeks, and we're going to finish out the Bible, and yeah, let's let's get started. Okay, well, we're in the little tiny book of Philemon, which is tucked in between Titus and Hebrews, so tiny that some people forget it, but it is in there, and (laughs) nobody really knows what to do with it, because it's about... An escaped slave uh, named Onesimus, and Philemon is the owner, and the escaped slave ends up with Paul, ends up getting saved. So Paul tells the slave he should go back to his master, and there are people who speculate that Onesimus probably took some money on his way out the door, so Paul wants him to set things right with the master. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that, and... Paul is not necessarily telling Philemon what to do, but he does dump some guilt on him and says, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but let me list all the things I did for you, so you should do this, but hey, it's up to you. And uh, people have a problem with this book because this means that 
Christianity is in favor of slavery, and etc., etc. And I really don't think that's the point. I think the point is that there are responsibilities that people have, and part of Christian, uh, you know, being a Christian is unity with other believers, doing the right thing by one another. So, Paul does not like what Onesimus did. I think Onesimus probably feels guilty about it. So Paul says, if you want to make up for it, go back to Philemon and, you know, do the right thing. And then it's up to Philemon to do the right thing on his part. So that's the main issue. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the fact that Christianity is in favor of slavery. Um, this book was used by the Confederacy to support the, uh, what was that uh, thing there, the slave, the, where they had to return to slaves, what do they call that? Just skip my mind. Fugitive Slave Act. Uh, they will use passages like this to say, See, slaves should stay with their masters. You should not overthrow slavery. It's God-ordained. That's, That's really, terrible. It's really not at all what's going on here. Uh, no. So that's just the way a lot of people take it. Slavery at the time was a, an economic institution. That's the way things were. It's really not all that different from how it is now to working for somebody uh, you know, obviously the slavery that he's talking about is nothing close to the Chattel slavery system in America, which is pretty evil. Um, I don't think God would have been in favor of that system at all. No. Uh, so I really, I don't like the way people treat this book. But Christianity was not invented to overthrow societal ills. Christianity was put in place to overthrow the heart. So that people would do the right thing within those societal institutions. So Christianity is not here to overthrow systems. It's here to overthrow people's hearts. Amen. That was beautiful. <laughs> I've always, I, I like the book of Philemon. Okay, next comes Hebrews. And this is a longer book, obviously. And it's full of... It packs a punch, Jeff. Packs a punch. One way that it matters is because it takes the Old Testament stuff that we read and we came through. It talks about the law, how the law is not going to save anyone, and it talks about how Jesus fulfilled the law. So I feel like we have seen some of that discussion through the New Testament, but here it's very well, it's so well laid out. I think Hebrews is one of the big books that well, it is the big book if you want to understand the Old Testament, New Testament stuff. You know, Romans and Galatians, very important books. You know, and they talk about a lot of Old Testament stuff. But I think Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews are like your top three books for understanding the the progressive revelation of Scripture. Yes. It starts out right away, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So again, we're showing the deity of Christ. We're showing how he is supreme to everything else. He's put over the... He's called the Son of God. He quotes... Um, psalm and second samuel and so forth you are my son today i've begotten you and he's like who else did he say that to <laughs> nobody is the answer yeah except jesus well, you'll notice all throughout that chapter 
and even the rest of the book of Hebrews. My Bible, when it quotes the Old Testament, it puts the quotes in all capital letters. So you can see just how much of this book is a quotation of the Old Testament. And that whole chapter one is almost, it's like, I don't it's know, all quotes. 60, yeah. 75% quote from the Old Testament. And it is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, you know, Lord and the angels, uh, the humility of him coming and all that stuff. So that first chapter, I'm going to talk about the deity of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 is probably where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, uh, we have, or I have mentioned before that the kingdom of God is an already, not yet. When someone taught, taught me that, and you'll hear that a lot, it started, that helped make sense of it in my mind, that the kingdom of God is already here. We covered that in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. It talks about how we're raised and seated beside him in the heavenly places. So we need to have our attention on that and our focus on that. Hebrews, right here, chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, is the not yet part. Um, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. So there is part of it that has not yet happened. Um, Still, Jesus is supreme over all that as well. I like uh, the phrase there in verse 3 of chapter 2, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That is a great phrase. Uh, Also verse 9, saying that Jesus was made for the suffering of death. And his stuff he's talking about with the suffering, verse 10, then he says that he made the captain of their salvation perfect through his sufferings. There's something there with the sufferings, like when, you know, Christmas time coming up, why did Jesus come? He came to suffer death. And the idea of him being made perfect through the sufferings is an interesting concept. Not that there was sin or anything in Jesus, but it's it's the completion, the, the fullness of all that he came here for was the suffering of death. And mm-hmm. to just think of the whole... The whole life of Christ, the whole plan of salvation wrapped up in his suffering of death. And it just kind of boils it down that way. We get lost, I think, sometimes in our talking about Christ, what he came here for. He didn't just come here to teach and be Mr. Rogers and, you know, be smiley. He came to die. He came to die. That's why he came. Mm-hmm. First Peter picks up on that as well. Just FYI. Yeah, well, it's all over the place there in the New Testament there. Yeah, but I always notice it in 1 Peter. Okay, chapter 2 continues. Chapter 3 brings in uh, Moses, and he starts to do a little review again, pulls in that Old Testament, talks about the people that um, rebelled. They heard what they were supposed to do, but they rebelled. Then he talks about Moses bringing them into the wilderness, but still people were disobedient. It flows right into chapter 4. And um, that first part of chapter 4, do you like that part? Do you want to say anything about that? Because they were promised rest in the promised land, basically, right? And so then I feel like the chapter four flows straight from that, saying that there's going to be a rest, but anyone who disobeys is not going to feel that rest. And then he goes into God rested. <laughs> it's just like, it's like he slowly switches focus there. 
Yeah, there's... In Hebrews has a couple passages that are called warning passages. One of them is in chapter 3, you got some in chapter 6, and he uses Israel as the example that they all came out, but they didn't all get into the rest. And he says, you people be careful, because a lot of you are playing with this. You think you're going to the rest, but a lot of you aren't going to make it. So there's these warning passages there that people always freak out. Oh, you lose your salvation, and stuff. And it's like, you got to be careful with that. I think a person who is truly saved is not going to lose their salvation. However, there's a lot of people who think they're truly saved who aren't. And the way you tell that is because you quit. <laughs> and so he says, don't quit, you know, till you get there. So he talks a lot about the perseverance thing and hold fast. He says hold fast in there a number of times. So there is a rest that's there. You ain't in it yet. So, you know, there's a lot of people that think, well, I'm saved. I'm just going to take it easy. And it's like, uh, be careful. Be careful with that. Make sure. And so there are those passages in Hebrews that uh, have implications for, you know, how we're mm -hmm. living our life yeah. here. And then, like, for he starts getting into the whole concept of faith, the word of God, quick and powerful, mm -hmm. sharper and two-edged sword. So you're you're dealing with the reality. God's word is going to cut through you. You can't play games with them, so don't play games with this. If you're in this, let's go. If you're not, then just, you know, either get in or get out, but don't play a game. Yeah. Uh, the great high priest issue comes in there chapter uh, verse 14 through 16 those verses are so cool i love those verses just like many people love those verses let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need um he compares the high priest jesus our great high priest to the high priests that were back in the day back in the old testament who had to give sacrifices for their own selves and uh Wow, how cool that we get this perfected priest made perfect through his suffering, and he is the one that is approaching the holy, the throne of God. Um, and that is who we have as our high priest. And he gets into some ticky tacky stuff here, especially you get into chapter 7, talking about Melchizedek, and he's basically talking over their heads. And even people today that read are like, what? Um, in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, he says that this time y'all should be teachers, but you instead are in need of somebody to teach you. <laughs> so he's kind of, mm -hmm. he's kind of frustrated that he can't just level with the people because they're not going to understand what it is he's talking about. And you can sense the frustration that he has. It's like, seriously, people, this is so cool. And so like chapter 6 starts, let's go on to perfection. You know, don't stick with these arguing about these I think what he is considering to be elemental doctrinal issues, you should be past this by now. There should be a maturity here. We should be able to talk about these deeper things. Melchizedek, I think, in chapter 7 is one of the deeper things he wants to talk about. But he just doesn't have confidence that the people are going to understand what he's saying. And I, that whole thing is just fascinating to me. It's kind of like 1 Corinthians where he says, I can't give you meat, i got to give you milk. And yet even the milk that he gives is still pretty tough. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how much are we missing here? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, right. That goes through, you mentioned chapter 7. Chapter 8 pretty much continues with that. Then we move into chapter 9. Well, it's also where, where he starts talking about the better covenant. And, yes. you know, for the Jewish people, again, that's fighting words. You know, you come in there and say your covenant's yeah. better than theirs. You start referring to their covenant as the old one. 
And, you know, for us, that doesn't bother us, of course. But for a Jewish person, that's... Ah, they might even consider that to be anti-Semitic, for all I know. I mean, it's just... It's kind of rude. <laughs> so, yeah. when you call our covenant the better covenant, it's nice to know that the Bible says that. So, it's not just my opinion. He's saying, no, really. This it is better. And the reason why is because we have a better priest. And we have a better sacrifice. That's what he's talking about in chapter 9. Uh... You know, his blood, the blood of Christ, is the thing that's sufficient. Chapter 10, he talks about the insufficiency of the animal sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but we have a better sacrifice. So that's why it's a better covenant, because we have a better sacrifice. So this isn't anti-Semitic, Gentiles are cooler than Jews stuff. This is, no really, because Christ came, he really did bring you into a better covenant. So enjoy mm -hmm. that, take advantage of it, and live in it. Chapter 10, verse 19 through 23, also some of my favorite verses. And it's sort of like in light of this and in light of the greatness of Jesus and his supremacy and his deity, how should I live then? What should I do with that? So he goes into like, don't keep sinning. You know the truth. Let it go and um, love each other, do good works, get together at I guess church, although last week you talked about that it doesn't really say to go to church. I don't think it can, I don't think it should be limited to church. It's just assemble right. together and encourage each other. You know, that can certainly be in As church. As believers. But right. I don't think it's supposed to be limited to church. No. Chapter 11 starts talking about faith. Faith is so cool. And this is a, this is a cool chapter where he uses examples, again, from the Old Testament, showing the faith of those people. And that also helps you kind of understand the Old Testament when those things are happened. You've been repeatedly saying throughout our recaps that no one was saved by the law. They were saved by their faith. And I think chapter 11 here sort of summarizes your argument that you've been giving all year. And each of them had something different that they were believing. I mean, they were all believing God, obviously, but they were each told to do a different thing. So in our covenant, we are told to uh, believe in the, you know, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that through that, this is the just way that God has found to justify the ungodly, that this is what I need. I need Christ. And so... That's the faith. Christ-likeness is the result of that. It's going to make us look foolish, just like it made Noah look foolish to build an ark. It made Abraham look foolish to go move to a place he did not know, that his 100-year-old wife is going to have a kid. You know, Moses, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh. You know, all that stuff. That's hard stuff. So the hard stuff we're called to, faith in Christ resulting in Christ-likeness. You know, it's the foolishness. It's foolishness. You know, back to Corinthians, fools for Christ's sake. So there's a foolishness within faith because faith is humble and uh, faith is walking by, you know, by hearing rather than by seeing. So it doesn't make sense from a physical standpoint. But in the end, you get the deliverance to the better country. And that's always the thing that drives on a believer is the better country that's coming. So the use mm -hmm. of the word better in the book of Hebrews is interesting. Mm -hmm. And chapter 11 also, I think, as you go and you see all those different pictures of those people, one thing, one word that comes to mind is that they surrendered. And 
I would tie that in with humility because to me in my life, being humble or having humility means that I'm surrendering to another authority. And um, that came out to me as I was reading this, that there's an attitude of surrender. When I see the supremacy of Christ, then how should I live? I should live by surrendering and by having faith in him. And then chapter 12 moves into um, the fact that I'm running a race and the pace of my race, I should be following people who are spurring me along. Like I can see the example of these believers that are listed here. I can also see believers in my life um, that are going to spur me on to continue and to pick up my pace. He then also goes into the chastening issue. And I think a lot of people, again, wig out about this issue. But basically what he's saying is, look, if you do the faith thing, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. And then people assume, you know, because in our day, if you have faith, you get health and wealth. But the Bible says the exact opposite. So you're going to be wondering, well, why does this hurt? And is God turning on me? And, And his point is, no, God loves you. And this stuff is going to produce spiritual growth in you. So, you know, it goes back mm-hmm. to Paul's thing. Uh, tribulation versus patience. Patience, experience, experience, hope. And all that kind of stuff. This is all things work together for good. It conforms you to Christ. Uh, so, you know, it's a very consistent theme throughout the New Testament that faith is going to hurt, but the hurting is going to help you grow. Mm-hmm. Well, if you pick up that idea of the race, too, the thing yep. when I go into verse 3 and 4 and 5, 6, it's like, what am I allowing to distract me? So what am I carrying? What am right. I allowing to get me off the path of my race? Right. And I think there he's saying, like, it's going to hurt. But see, there's things you can do. Stop carrying around all that weight. Stop doing all that stupid stuff. It'll simplify it. And then also understand that, you know, there's still going to be bad things that are probably going to end up happening, but understand that that's stuff that's going to help you. So he's, that's part of the encouragement, is that on your way to the better country, it's going to be rough. But just understand, this is all part of the process that's, you know, that's eventually going to allow you to be in the better country and it's totally going to be worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. This is also the part of my Bible that my friend's dog sat up on the couch beside me and got really excited about the scriptures and licked Hebrews 11. And so my page is all wrinkled with the dog licking the Bible. Her name was Ivy. Mm. Thank you, Ivy. That's disgusting. All right. It is disgusting. But you can't just throw away the whole Bible just because the dog licked Hebrews 11. That dog's mouths are cleaner than a lot of things so i have heard that as well maybe your page is cleaner now it might be she made a better page for me she did it's a better hebrews 11 i wrote her little name and put a little arrow to it so that i remember that okay verse 11 where it says um later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it Um, one message I heard one time, I know who talked about it. It was one of our pastors at church. He said that the word there is like gymnazo or something, gymnazo, and it means that you stick the landing. And I always like that picture too. Like run the race, do good, keep strong, stick the landing. Like don't, don't let yourself be distracted and mess up. Yeah. Well, that's his whole point in Hebrews. Hold fast. Keep going all the way to the end. Yep. You know, don't be like those, you know, Israelites that wanted to go back to Egypt for the onions. 
Yeah, I know. I really miss those leeks and those onions. You crazy? Okay, chapter 13. I like these remembrances. Don't neglect to show hospitality. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor. All those things. And then it goes to verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I just like that verse. I wanted to read it. Yeah, it's cool. And then he just, I do feel like a lot of those things are just listed. Obey your leaders. Don't neglect to do good. Share what you have. It's like this whole list of things that we're supposed to be doing. And then there's a benediction. And he signs off. He says, talks about Timothy has been released. Greet the leaders, all the saints, those who come from Italy. Send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. And that is the end of Hebrews. It is a beautiful book. It's worth a lot more time. Yep, spend a lot of stuff in there. Study. Yep. Yeah. Okay, we move on to James. James, um, boy, howdy. People like to get messed up in James, Jeff. James is a very practical book. I think that's why most people don't like it. <sighs> Touche. It is written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And, um, right away, verse 3, steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect. Here we go again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Yeah, and much of steadfastness, apparently, to James is keeping your mouth shut. The, uh, (laughs) you know, the guy who can control his tongue is the perfect man. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, (laughs) he has a lot of things to say about the mouth. In chapter one, James is just, he is not playing games, people. Mm-hmm. I like the verse, uh, be swift to hear, slow to speak. Well said. Slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then be doers of the word and not hearers only. Which brings him into chapter two, which is the big one that gets James yeah. in trouble. Martin Luther thought James should be thrown into the fire. Uh, the book itself should not be in the Bible because James says we are not justified by faith alone, whereas Luther said we are. So Luther didn't like that James disagreed with him, so Luther wants James to be destroyed. I would, you know, personally, I'm going to go with James over Luther. I don't know if that's shocking or not, but I'm going <laughs> to do that. And the whole issue that simplifies the whole thing is that he's talking about love here. He's not talking about works of the law. He's not talking about legalism. He's not talking about works righteousness. He's talking about love because the whole issue is rich people and poor people don't treat them differently. No respect of persons. The issue is love. Fulfill the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when faith is working, it works with love, which is exactly what Paul said in Galatians. Faith works by love. So I've said this, you know, brought this up several times throughout here, that love is a massive issue in the New Testament. Even the demons believe, but the demons do not love. Love is a big deal. Don't forget love. So that wraps things up. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 1. Be not many of you teachers. Ooh. If that ain't a verse for today, I don't know what is. He's got more stuff about watching your mouth. How can a blessing and a curse come out of the same mouth? (laughs) I'll show you how. Ah, You sure can. Yeah. Oh, I've had these verses, like, many times read to me as a (laughs) high school Christian Baptist school attender. 
I even had them read to me like two years ago in at a in a work situation. Mm. I was like, "Are you kidding me right now?" No, I don't think they were. Oh no, it was very serious. <laughs> but I have I have more of an issue with the fact that you're reading me scripture in the middle of just what I don't understand. This is a job. It's a business. Anyway, job. <laughs> I'll let you take that up with. The person in question. Oh, I did. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have no problem being told to tame my tongue, and it's something I honestly work on in my own spiritual life. But I also, one of my greatest things that is like, I just cannot stand, and I know this comes from being a pastor's kid growing up. When people bring God into something that they're trying to make you feel guilty about or like you sinned somehow and they bring God into it. No, wait, I said that wrong. I'm saying there is no sin, but somehow they are able to bring God into it and say you shouldn't have done that or right. you should have. You know what I mean? Like, I do. There's this pious way that people will come to a pastor such as yourself or to a pastor's kid, or even to someone on a church staff. They will bring God into it very quickly. So it's like they're on the right, and you're automatically wrong because obviously you're sinning. You are the Antichrist because you disagree with my opinion. Exactly. So when I am sat down to hear a devotional using James and watching your tongue, when it's like, wait, what? Is, this has nothing to do with, you know, so yes, I will readily admit to taking umbrage with people who quote scripture in a in a situation that should otherwise not include scripture even though scripture should be in everything does that make sense yeah just don't make Somehow. it a, just don't make it into an uh an umbrage too far oh no like if uh, like <laughs> but i'm joke. gonna listen no, you missed my joke I did. I'm sorry. Umbridge, umbridge too far. Too far. Uh, I get it. The bridge too Don't far. burn your bridges. Um, yeah, umbridge, umbridge, it's a, it's a bridge too far. Umbridge too far. Umbridge too far. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, that was a huge sidetrack. Yeah, chapter because four. Because that really humility. has nothing to do with any of this. Be humble. Yes, hum- humility. Verse we're going six. into... He giveth more also, grace. Wherefore he saith, Chapter five. God resisteth the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And those are beautiful verses, and also one of the reasons why people do not like the book of James, because who are you to tell me? But boy howdy, I like that. Um, And then the ending of chapter 4, where he's like, uh, where they say, today or tomorrow we're going to do this or that, but you don't mm-hmm. know what tomorrow's going to bring. That's that's a little convicting, too. Yeah. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Ugh. James has some pretty... He has some pretty harsh things to say about any kind of human confidence. He's totally against rich people. He is totally against arrogant people. He is totally against people making plans. He is just, he is on fire in this book. And that's why people don't like it. 
Chapter 5, A Warning to the Rich and then also to be patient in suffering. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Again, with the steadfast stuff. (laughs) I've noticed that all throughout the Bible, it's still going, still going in the book of James. Yeah, and he concludes with the prayer issue. Mm -hmm. Gets himself in trouble again. Yes. Do you have anything you want to say about that? <laughs> Let, why don't you go oh, ahead and clear that up for us? I do, but... All right. You know, the uh, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, which sure makes it sound like if your prayers aren't getting answered, it might be because you're not a fervent person or a righteous Ooh. man. And people do Ooh. not like that. And so Ooh. people will call upon there four times when God did answer their prayer and say, See, I'm righteous. And then they'll play both sides of it, which is always funny. And uh, prayer, people sure make that more confusing than it needs to be. According what to James, should it be? pretty straightforward. Well, first of all, spiritual growth. Uh, there's supposed to be spiritual maturity in there. There is a reason why people's prayers don't get answered, and it's frequently because they are asking amiss. They are asking according to their own flesh instead of anything spiritual. Also, there sure seems to be a pretty consistent teaching throughout the entire Bible, including all of the New Testament, that if you don't listen to God, there's a good chance He ain't going to listen to you either. And uh, that is, again, something people don't like to deal with, but that sure seems to be there in a lot of places. So, if we are praying and we are spiritually mature, we're going to be praying the proper things, and when you pray those proper things, those proper things happen And if you're not getting your prayers answered, it's probably because you're not asking the proper thing, or you're not asking it in a proper way, or you're not being a proper person. So, to me, prayer is fairly straightforward. Uh, We just don't like the implications of the straightforwardness, but to me, the Bible says it very straightforward. We just don't like to go where the Bible goes. Do you pray? Do I pray? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah pray all the time. Do you pray for me? I do pray for you occasionally. You might want to move that up on the list. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just a suggestion. Yeah. Well, hey. (laughs) All you gotta do is give me a reason and more than likely (laughs) I will begin praying. Okay. Hey, we only have two more weeks of this, man. You do. That finishes out, James. So Peter, John, Jude, and Revelation left. Oh, yeah, God. we're getting there. When you read Philemon, Hebrews, and James, what stands out to you about the character of God? Well, Hebrews clearly is talking about a lot of things in the Old Testament. The character of God, the consistency of God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can trust him. So the bigger issue out of Hebrews and James, I think, is faith, you know, from our part. But the reason why faith is so good and solid is because we are trusting somebody who is good and solid for eternity. And so we are putting our faith in God who is amazingly awesomely better than we are and we are to be in dependence upon him and faith says look i don't know what i'm doing so help me out here and then you go to his word which is quick and powerful he says here's what i want you to do i know it doesn't make any sense 
I know there's going to be a lot of people that tell you when you listen to James that you're doing it wrong. It should be thrown into the fire and all these other reasons that people give you that you don't have to listen. But he says, look, this is the word of God. These guys did not invent it. This is what God wants you to do. So stop playing games. Do the thing. Don't be like the children of Israel who got out of bondage and wandered back into it because they wanted onions. Don't do that. Do not return to your vomit as the doggies do. Instead, hold fast. Press toward the mark. Don't give up. Steadfast. Endurance. Hold fast. Keep the faith. Fight the fight. You'll get there. That was beautiful. All right. I'll see you next week. We'll be, this is week 50, so again, two more weeks. Then we never have to speak each other again. (laughs) Amen. Hold on. Just remain steadfast, and all the blessings will come to you in 2019. Okay. Yeah, that's true. All right. Mm, Okay. All right. Well, I will allow you to cheer for the bears throughout the rest of this little happy joy I'll go ahead. I'll let you come into the fold. Well, it's always exciting to see how they're going to choose to blow it this time. So it will be indeed entertaining. I said to my son today, now this is the time of the game where Jay Cutler would throw an interception. And instead, Trubisky threw a touchdown. And I said, this is not Jay Cutler. <laughs> so yeah. you, uh, yes, you, might be, uh, you might be heading somewhere. All right. All right. Nice I'm going to enjoy, enjoy the ride. Yeah. I'm going to run the race that was set before me. There you go. All right. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In in closing. Yes. I would just like to say. Okay. Carry on, my wayward son. See you next week. Bye. Make like the vultures and carry on. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>